dear friends and freedom lovers, and welcome to You're the Voice, the podcast that reminds you how important your voice is and the role you play in the world. My name is Afrat, and I'm an independent journalist and podcaster with background in tech and marketing. I've transitioned into journalism when the gap left by the mainstream media and censorship was too big to bear. In this series, I interview intriguing humans, putting the spotlight on their stories and views. My guest today is Jennifer Say, an American author, filmmaker, business executive, and a retired autistic gymnast who was the 1986 USA national champion. Her first memoir, Chalked Up, detailed the coaching cruelty inflicted on children in the sport of gymnastics, and her 2020 Emmy Award-winning documentary, Athlete A, exposed abuses in the Olympic movement. Jennifer began working at Levi's in 1999, rising to chief marketing officer and then global brand president. In January 22, she was asked to resign because of her public opposition to the extended closure of San Francisco's public schools. Her most recent book, Levi's Unbuttoned, tells the inspirational story of her corporate career, search for authenticity, and ultimate refusal to bow to the woke mob. Jennifer is a mother of four, and now resides in Denver with her family. I hope you enjoy the show. Please share it forward, and remember, you're the voice. Jennifer Say, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I'm so happy to have it. I'm, I'm thrilled to meet you, and here in Israel, this is such a Excited. surprise <laughs> to have you come here. It's amazing. So the moment I read in your blog that you were coming to Israel, I was like, yay, I've got to try and make this happen very cool and you said yes so thank you very much of course of course all right so maybe just for the beginning um, by the way m my podcast is called you're the voice so ah. what we want is for people to make their voice heard and you are one of those people that made their voice heard really early on in the last three years yeah. and um, I would love for you to just briefly maybe introduce yourself sure. to the people who are watching. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I worked at Levi's, the jeans company, for 23 years. And I worked my way all the way up. I was an entry-level marketing assistant in 1999, climbed up the ladder, became the chief marketing officer in 2013, which is really where I kind of made my impact. After four years of being in the company. Um, no, way more. So I started in 1999, ah, so 14 years. 14 years. I became the CMO. Uh, we had a relatively new CEO at the time, and he sort of saw me with fresh eyes and put me in the job. Um, and I held the CMO role for eight years, which, as I'm sure you know, is a very long time. It is. It, uh, Much longer than the average oh, time yeah, that yeah. CMOs spend yeah, in a Yeah, the company. average is, I think, 24 months. It is. Because yeah. you... I even heard 18 months. It used to be 18. It's gone up a little, okay. I read. I don't know. Um, it's a tough job. You know, a lot of scrutiny, very public-facing. Mm -hmm. um, and everyone the, knows yes, what you need to the do. The short tenure is not because they're so successful they get promoted, they get fired, <laughs> or they leave because they know they're going to get fired. Um, but I was successful in the role, helped the company uh, to an IPO. Mm -hmm. um, and when, had, when was that? The IPO was in 2019. And mm -hmm. we had been on the brink of bankruptcy in 2011. Wow. This company, this iconic, storied company that started in 1853, um, Anyway, uh, I ended up my career there as the brand president, which was overall a product, you know, the jeans, design, merchandising, stores, all of it. 
Um, and I got promoted during COVID, which I think is a testament to the fact that I was doing a pretty good job. But the reason um, we're talking probably more than my success as a business leader at Levi's is in March of 2020, from the very beginning, I was outspoken um, specifically about restrictions to children. I was opposed to all of it, but I thought I'll focus my efforts on restrictions to children because I thought that that would be a bridge building issue. Ha. Everyone has children and <laughs> I, care about children, I, everyone right? Everyone says they care about children. Um, and so I lived in San Francisco at the time, very quote unquote progressive city, although I would argue all of these policies are incredibly regressive, despite the sort of positioning of them as progressive. progressive yes. um, 55,000 public school students in San Francisco kept from school for 19 months. Wow. Playgrounds were closed for nine months. If you live in the city in, San Fran in, in, in a city like San Francisco, no one has a yard. There's nowhere for children to play except the playground. It actually doesn't matter how well off you are. No, it, it, everybody lives in an apartment, you know? So basketball hoops torn down, um, surfing not allowed. Anything kids could do to stay healthy and be outside, not allowed. Adults could golf. I mean, yeah, they could a, golf. Oh, yeah. Mm, how convenient. Uh, exactly. So, and then in the fall of 2020, all of the private schools opened. So all of the schools where the very wealthy children in went in San Francisco, $60,000 a year. These kids could go to school, mm. public school children, 50% of whom are low income, no school. So I was very outspoken about this from March 2020, because as you know, the data was clear from the beginning. Children were never at any risk, mm -hmm. not to mention it's a egregious violation of civil liberties, even of if course. children were at risk. So anyway, I was outspoken. It took the company maybe six months to notice. I don't think anybody was on Twitter. I kept waiting for them to call me. <laughs> not until September of 2020 did I get a call telling me I needed to watch it. Mm. I said no thanks. And that was the beginning of an 18-month battle inside the company of me being urged every two weeks or so to stop advocating for children, of me being called every name you could think of in the book by employees from racist to murderer, mm. all while my peers sent their kids to in-person private school. So that's when it so completely I, hypocritical. Completely stand. hypocritical. It was also on the heels. So September 2020 is when they started to tell me I needed to stop. Remember, summer of 2020 were all of uh, the protests, the, the, the protests. The um, Black Lives Matter. The Black Lives Matter after the murder of George Floyd. And then all the white executives saying, you know, we are denouncing our racism and our privilege and we're going to fight for equality and equity. <laughs> and so my thing I kept saying was, but this is the most unequal thing I can imagine. Oh, 100%. The public schools are populated with black and brown children. This is terrible. How are you bringing that into this yes, battle? they're not. And they're not. No, they sent their own children to school, private school, with all pretty much wealthy white children while they weren't actively advocating for the schools to stay closed. They were just staying quiet, hoping nobody would notice that they that sent their kids. <laughs> um, but they were actively telling me I could not advocate for open public schools. 
But I kept my job another 18 months. There was just this battle internally, yes. and I would get a call every two weeks. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They were persistent oh, in goodness. trying to shut you down. Oh, goodness. Yeah, every two weeks from someone, legal, a board member, somebody would be put up to the task of telling me I needed to stop. Eventually, it was the head of HR who called me every two weeks. Um, and then, you know, that went on and on and on. What was your response to them? No, thank you. <laughs> and, and so let me take you back to the first no, thank you. When yeah. you got this call telling you, yeah. okay, you cannot voice your view or your opinion, your personal opinion exact, that clearly has nothing to do with the company's stand. Yeah, the exact words were, people are noticing what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Okay, I figured they probably would at some point. Mm -hmm. You need to think about what you're doing, Jen, because when you speak, you speak on behalf of the company. And I said, no, I do not. Great. I speak as a mom of four, a public school parent in San Francisco for over 15 years. I don't have my job title in my bio. Mm -hmm. um, yes, but you know, people, you, you, you do. You. you are the face of the company in many ways. And I said, I'll be very careful not to ever say that I work for Levi's, not to ever use my title. And in fact, because I started just sort of on social media, but then I ended up writing op-eds and I ended up on the local news and then eventually on the national news. And I would always say, because they ask you, what do you want the Chiron to be? And I would say, mom of four. Mm -hmm. I said, please do not. I would always say, please don't say I work at Levi's. And yeah. you know what they would say to me? You work at Levi's? <laughs> like nobody, nobody even knew. It was yeah. just so silly. Yes. Um, but anyway, I would say, I'm sorry, this is too important to me. I'm not going to stop. And I have, I, without going into a lot of detail, I had had a history of advocacy for children in my uh, sports life. I had been an elite gymnast as a child, and since 2008 had been very outspoken about the abuse in the Olympic movement. And so I said, right. I see this as an extension of that. And, you know, they, they, I, 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 I said, are you telling me I have to stop? Now I'm remembering. Mm -hmm. And she said, I can't do that. Of course they can't. And I said, okay, then we're done. Thank that, you. That would be a violation of the First Amendment, right? Telling you you can... Well, not technically, because the First Amendment says the government can't. Mm. But a private company... A private company can. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have a contract saying you can or cannot use social no media in this way. There was no policy. I'd been outspoken about politics in the past, but more sort of left leaning mm -hmm. nobody said anything so this would have been viewpoint discrimination which is what yes. it is yes um but anyway i refused in a very nice way to stop and they just kept pressuring me and then eventually my own boss who's the ceo was he is the ceo he was my boss he didn't like having this conversation with me he would put others up to it but eventually he would have to and you know he held out I was ruining my career prospects. You know, I was next in line for CEO, and I, I just kept saying the same thing. This is too important to me. And let's dive into the kids angle for a second. Yeah. So school and playground closure were done. Kids were suffering, I guess, pretty bad impacts yeah, since then. Yeah, we've seen that. What have you been seeing in the US about that? Yeah, so I think, it's interesting because now that we're, you know, over three years out, 
the harms are clear. All of the studies show they're you you would call it learning loss. I mean, testing scores for reading and math are at 30-year lows. Any progress that had been made in the last two decades um, around sort of low-income children, black and brown children, and kind of closing that educational gap, mm -hmm. all of that has been lost. Mm -hmm. um, of course, the, the gap has increased because the wealthy white children <laughs> were in private school. And even those who were in public, you know, in America, I don't know if they did this here, but you know, um, they would do these learning pods. So parents would hire a teacher to come into the home and you'd have six neighborhood kids get together. So the, they the could loss, afford it. They it? could afford it. So those with means were able to kind of continue their education and those who didn't have means. And this is what I could not stop thinking about is those children, 50 to 60% of the children in most urban districts are low income. Their parents are out working hourly wage jobs at the grocery store. Older children left home with very young children to care for them. They don't have Wi-Fi to do the schoolwork. They don't, it's just, the examples are endless of why this was not gonna work for the majority of American families. It wasn't hard to imagine. Anyway, the learning loss, the impacts are grave. Mm -hmm. 30 years lost progress. The mental health impacts. That's what I also wanted to Yes, yeah, so anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, eating disorders. All on the rise. All accelerated during COVID and then now continue. Same in Israel. Yeah, it's the same you everywhere. See, you see the data. It's yeah. the same. I, absenteeism is at an all-time high. You have some schools in San Francisco where I used to live, 90% chronic wow. absenteeism, 90%. That means they're absent from school more than 10% of the time. Wow. So these kids won't graduate. So you're gonna have really, really high dropout rates. When you have high school dropout rates that are high, you have increased crime, uh, incarceration. Drug use. <laughs> drug use, teen pregnancy, you know, all of these things. Like this is going to cause generational harm and not just for the generation but the entire population all and the these, economy in the economy all right they're not going to be able to hold jobs exactly. these, there's kids i mean what's really horrible is they're just waving kids through and graduating and they can't even read some of these kids so everything people like me said that is playing out there is sort of acceptance of that in america learning loss mental health they say the pandemic did it versus yeah. pandemic How policy. Easy. Of course. Um, and they also, there is no accountability because if, if, if it's the pandemic and not a policy choice, there aren't any people to blame. Oh, isn't that easy? Mm -hmm. uh, but I continue to be outspoken and the people like me who started this from the beginning because these were policy choices. Others made different policy choices and had better results. And so, these people that made these choices should not have their jobs anymore. And if there's not acknowledgement that these were terrible choices, they could happen again. And because of that, I want to ask a question that may be a little bit controversial. Do you think those policy choices were intentional? Is there like a bigger plan behind it to make the population less productive? It's interesting. Or, or is it something that just happened because they made mistakes? <laughs> I know what I think about it, but uh, yeah, curious to hear what you think. I 
I don't think they were just mistakes. I, d I definitely don't. I'm not sure I, I'm kind of working out what I think here, you know? Do I think there's a grand plan to dumb down the population and are there four people sitting in a room going, oh, this is, I, no. But I think everything moves in one direction seamlessly without coordination. <laughs> Which is, what is the, the general direction you see this going in? I think a conformist and obedient population that kind of obeys the rules, greater state control. Authoritarian. More authoritarian in nature, offering the general public safety in exchange for their freedoms. Safety and maybe even, you know, well-being. You get yeah. universal basic safety. income. Yes, you get exactly. money from the government. You're more reliant yeah. on us. Uh, and then you do more of what we tell you to do. Yes. Because you have to. You don't have anything without being told what to do, but they accept it willingly. That's what I find the most disturbing is, I shouldn't. This is the way of authoritarians since the beginning of time. We will offer you safety in exchange for your freedom. It's a good mm -hmm. trade. Hey, mm -hmm. why don't you take mm -hmm. this? And people, most, well, I shouldn't say most people in America. Most people in San Francisco were willing to accept that trade graciously. But I think in America you do have, it was divided, quote unquote, red states and blue states. And um, people in red states were called freedom lovers. They were positioned as really stupid rubes. Mm, freedom but lovers, I didn't dumb, hear that. Dumb. Oh, that's nice. But I'm grateful. <laughs> These are not folks I would have necessarily associated myself with in the past, but there's a real streak of rugged individualism in America. The mm -hmm. country was founded on mm -hmm. these basic freedoms, freedom of speech, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to congregate, um, the Second Amendment, you know, mm -hmm. gun, around gun ownership, which is, I think, anathema to a lot of people around the world and certainly was something I questioned a lot in the past but when you see the government take that much control you're like okay maybe there was a reason for that or maybe maybe it's also good that we have that second amendment to kind of protect the first amendment yeah is basically the rationale yeah, and to kind of make the government know that they cannot go too far because there is a second amendment still I think that is the reason I mean I still am a firm believer that there should be some restrictions on it um, the second amendment that yes. is but that's like a whole other issue but look there were people that stood up and said no mm -hmm. um, and it was very much divided along red state blue state lines my husband and I in a very deep blue city in a very deep blue state stood alone um, but there was only so far, ultimately, the government could go because half of the population was not going to comply. And what's fascinating is, even though many of the Democrats or the, the blue states were, like the, the people themselves were not saying no to it, they, we were still seeing the numbers of the interstate migrations from right. California and New yeah. York states to people from California, people states. from San Francisco where I lived, 7%, a little bit more than 7% of the population left between 2020 and 2022. That's a That's massive a lot, number. Right? Yeah. Highest in the country of any exodus. Guess where they went? To the red states. They went to Texas and or Florida. Or Arizona. They went to Texas and Florida for the most part. Um, now, in, 
you know, they went to Austin in Texas, which is like a blue town in a red <laughs> yeah. state. But what that says to me is you want the freedom of Texas with the community of yeah, like my California, yes. <laughs> you know. Um, but it is really interesting. So, the, yeah, a lot of people rejected the that's policies That's like voting with your feet. They yeah. voted with their feet. The other part that's so interesting, and I don't know why this, I don't know if you experienced this here, but all of the, you know, bureaucratic, elite government leaders and public health leaders, they were all caught breaking their own rules. Yes, of course. We experienced it here as well, of course. I mean, literally every single one. But very high-profile ones, like Gavin Newsom, the mm -hmm. governor of California, he, you know, was having $800 meals at the French Laundry. He kept his own business open while forcing other small businesses to close. He went maskless at the Super Bowl, of like, course. and on and on. Which, to me, said he wasn't scared. Of course. They knew, knew something that we didn't. But why? Right? No one cared. No, they would let them because that's the hierarchy, that's the elite, they can do whatever they want and we look up to them and we need to I also allow them to do whatever they, they also, want to do. They, yes, they also, it, it, Democrats, I won't speak to Republicans, but they have this firm belief that their leaders mean well, that they are well-intentioned. Okay, so we made a mistake, everybody makes a mistake. <laughs> no, he thinks the rules are stupid. Yes. He wants you to adhere to them while he does what he wants. Yes. He sent his four children to in-person school while he made yours stay home for 19 months. He does not care about you, but they believe fundamentally in the good intentions of Democrats. And that's what I don't understand. That's the cognitive dissonance. They're not, they're not able to let go of that belief that someone else it's is. It's a cult. Yes. It's, a, it's a, of, the, of the party it's a affiliation, which is really about a cult-like kind of loyalty and yes. adherence and they won't let it go they can't see and then everybody anyone who questions it or leaves must be you know vanquished with the full force of 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 the mob's wrath which is again quite cult-like it is okay I'm gonna ask you personally about you so the amongst your friends and family what was the process that you went through and what prices did you pay for speaking out and for not being in the mainstream yeah. narrative like everyone it's else pretty brutal um i i mean you know there were colleagues i worked with that i would have considered very close friends at levi's i was 23 years there i went to weddings funerals held baby showers i don't talk to anyone yeah that's Any really no one there's a few that have left since then that have reached out to me um, I assume they've been told they can't speak to me wow. but they're also afraid to they were afraid to associate with me then I was tainted you know um, so I really don't have any of the friends I had from Levi's of you know having spent more than two decades there um, most of my oldest friends from college, we don't speak anymore. They find me um, disloyal, I suppose, to the, the party and confounding is mm -hmm. one of the things I've heard. Mm -hmm. um, family has been tough, you know. Uh, it's fine with my parents. They don't agree with the things that I've said, but they're my parents and ultimately we've yes. worked through it. Um, my brother and I haven't spoken in three years. Wow. 
So you had to pay a lot of prices. Yeah. But then I also want to ask you about the upsides of staying true to your values. Yeah. What would you do that again? And and what does it feel for you to staying true to yourself and your values? I mean, I would do it again because I don't know how else to be. To be. So it's terrible sometimes. Do I have moments where I'm like, I mean, I don't really have moments where I say I wish I hadn't done that. I have moments where I go, I wish I could go back to 2019 and just be sort of in the dark about yeah. how sheepish, you know, my friends and family are, <laughs> how cruel they can be. Um, I wish I just didn't know that. But once you see, you can't But once you see it, it, there's nothing you can do. And I have a new community of friends. It's interesting, um, you've probably found this as well. You know, I, I started to meet people online in 2020. There weren't very many people that were outspoken. We come from very different backgrounds. Um, some are conservatives their whole lives. Some are very religious Christians, definitely not my background. Um, some are disaffected liberals like me. Yep. Um, so really different backgrounds, but have come together to say, we believe in truth, mm -hmm. we believe in open debate, we yes. believe in basic civil liberties, we believe in the individual's humanity mm -hmm. and a right to kind of self-determination. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's interesting as we come out of COVID, we find ourselves talking about other issues that are not COVID related and disagreeing quite vehemently, but we find a way to talk about it anyway. And I, I'm really grateful for that. And there is a conversation, there is self there is yeah. mutual respect. Some things we really disagree on. I mean, we've had conversations about the issue of, you know, abortion and choice. We've had Dobbs pass in America. That's a heated subject. Yes. We disagree vehemently. Mm -hmm. And somehow we manage to have the conversations. Yeah. We're committed to that. And I'm very grateful for that. Wouldn't that be a society you want to live in? That's the model. <laughs> That's the model. And we, we sometimes have to remind each other that we came together because we felt it was so important to have these difficult conversations. We need to model that behavior for others um, if we can't do that. Because it gets heated <laughs> sometimes. But we are always able to kind of you know work through it. But that, to me, is the gravest concern about the dynamics at play, you know, in America and I think more broadly around the world is this sort of the 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 polarization and the inability to speak about things we disagree on. It's that's what causes the censorship. That's what drives cancel culture, right? That some views are too dangerous to be heard. I mean, that's a tenet of authoritarianism. That is it. I think These that's views. one of the core risks we have I, for society. I I couldn't agree more. That you know, more than that, that was exposed more to me. More than this policy or me. that that's policy. That's right. That right? was revealed to me during COVID. What yes. was happening? It had been happening, but I don't think I'd noticed. Yes. Um, you know, cancel culture since the early 2010s on college campuses. We hadn't seen that much of it in corporate America. I was. I am probably one of the highest profile victims of cancel culture but that censorship the illiberalism the suppression of speech the sort of abandonment of a culture of free speech 
Because freedom of speech is it's guaranteed in America. You can't be censored by the government. But private companies can. But I keep telling people I'm not the talking about I'm talking about valuing it. this yes. as a as a core value of a free country. Yeah. In our culture. We don't value it anymore. In fact, we say all the time that speech is violence it's too dangerous you must not speak you can't come to this school you can't say that thing as a professor this is so alarming to me because what happens then is truth is handed down mm -hmm. from the government truth is handed down from Pfizer mm -hmm. truth is a government issued talking point it isn't a process of you know furthered by the enlightenment principles to say we debate. I mean, the minute I hear the science is settled or the truth is, you know, this truth is settled, that's when you know it's not. Like the global director of communications in the UN said in an interview at the World Economic Forum last year, she said, in an interview about climate change, she said, we were alarmed to see the search results when you type in uh, climate change in Google and because we own the science we decided to partner with Google I have this interview it's crazy we decided well, like to partner with Google and to start pushing into the system the truth right because we own the science and right. we own the truth hence right. we own the truth right That's, and then now the when you go on Google we're, we're, we're relaxed you, you yeah. can see the truth there yeah. So that's the perfect example for what you said. Yeah. Now the truth is handed over to us from someone above, and you will be fed. That's right. In that truth, in the mainstream media and in social media. It's a brave new world. And it's that really is the biggest risk. It is, and that is because why that's the mind control. That really. is, and that's why. As concerned as I was and am about the impacts to children from the school closures, is why when I was told there is no job for you at this company anymore, because I was offered a bunch of money to sign a non-disclosure I heard agreement. in an interview that you were offered one million dollar package. Was. Yeah, that's unreal. And you I said no to it. Well, I declined to accept the offer. Um, I didn't want to sign a non-disclosure agreement because what was what is more alarming than the harms that were done to children and everything that happened during COVID is the censorship and this sort of decline of speech as a value yes. in the country. And so if I signed a non-disclosure agreement, I would be silencing myself. I wasn't going to do that. You would be silencing yourself and you would be silencing that that core value that you exactly. fight for. Exactly. Of let's talk about things, let's right. put everything out there let's and let's the conversation. trust that people are intelligent enough to take what's right for them. That's right. If you don't, I mean, you know, to take it back to kids in schools and COVID, what happened from the very beginning is any dissenting voices, and I mean more expert than me, let's say doctors, epidemiologists, there were voices out there, statisticians, yes. you know, there were people from the beginning saying, hey, wait a minute, this might not be a good idea, the median age of death is 82, children aren't at risk, like all, and on and on. They were deplatformed, smeared, vilified, a lot of them gave up and just stopped trying. Some have been dogged and persistent, people like Jay Bhattacharya and Martin Kolderf, they've been just completely dogged in pursuing the truth and representing the truth. Yes. But if you 
if you didn't silence dissenting voices, if, if dissenting voices weren't silenced by both the government and private companies, we could have actually had a conversation. Yeah. A rational, thoughtful, fact-based conversation, and schools would have opened sooner. Which then leads me to think, since they're working so hard to shut out yeah, dissenting why? voices, why are they doing that? Why is it so necessary that all of humanity will go in one direction? I think ultimately and not it's take the more. Choice? Yeah, I think ultimately it's this consolidation of power, mm -hmm. and you know, more central centralized power, less for people, throw them a few bones, you know safety, a little money, whatever. It's just more centralized power at the end of the day. And both parties, frankly, are kind of, it's one party. It's a uniparty. Of course. You know, they the all are in right favor of... Left and right or Democrats and Republicans. It's the same. I think but it's the it's, same. What's really we see that in Israel as what's well. What's disappointing is all, well, there's so much that's disappointing, but all of the cohorts who should have taken a stand, right, libertarians their whole reason for being is less government more freedom yeah they went along journalists yes have been their whole reason for being is to speak <laughs> truth to power and to challenge they're the ones who printed they're the ones who are supposed to be holding power to account they're the ones who are supposed to be questioning these large corporate entities. Instead, they were carrying water for Pfizer and Moderna. And now even we know that some of them are getting a lot of money from these companies to It's just to so crazy out. to me. It's crazy. But you know what I realized is it's just human nature. It has been since the beginning of time. Greed and power. And just going with the group. And complying, yeah, so that you can be included. Yeah, and exactly. not feel like you're uh, the villain. Right. And I think we both have felt it in the last yeah. three years, and it's not a convenient place to be. No, in. it's not at all convenient. It's not con convenient, but still, I would never change it. The irony is, we are the ones who are accused of grifting and taking money. I'm like, where's this money? I got no money. I made a lot of money before. I make almost zero dollars now. Yeah, I find I mean, myself in my journalistic work now. <laughs> Thanks to all the money I made before. But, right. But yeah, it's really not rewarding. No, there's nothing convenient about this. No, except for yeah. feeling more complete and, and I feel more integral and yes. yes. What I don't get, there's a lot of things I don't get. It's like why don't the why doesn't the I don't even mean the other side, but the people that know me or that knew me, that know what's in my heart, they know the arc of my life, they could disagree with me but still understand that I'm not doing this as a grift or for money or for intention, that I believe it. Maybe they think it's misguided. Yes. But I really resent my motives being questioned. Mm -hmm. I actually think most people on the other side, not the leaders who are just power grabbing, but the acolytes who are just following. I actually think they were well-intentioned. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I mean, I think they're wrong and mm -hmm. misguided, mm -hmm. but I think they were well-intentioned. I think they believed and still believe to some extent that lockdowns save lives. I don't know how they can believe that at this point because the data is so clear they that that's not the case, it. but yeah. they don't read it. But I believe I don't question their intentions, 
I do have the leaders, all the leaders. I question their intentions. That's a power grab. I'm talking about regular people. Yeah. They just thought they were trying to keep themselves safe and their families safe, and they really believe these things worked. Like I said, misguided, but they believe it. Why can't I be afforded the same um, honesty of intention? But I'm not. I'm said to be a grifter and a liar and a this and that. I'm like, whatever. It's not a convenient place to be. 100%. Out of a very large group of past friends um, and colleagues that I had that similarly to you, I'm not in touch with more any, um, since it happened, since it started. There were maybe a handful of people that told me, we will fight for your right to speak out. Oh yeah, I've not had one. Even though we don't, we don't agree. agree or we don't see it eye to eye and we sometimes even think you're crazy, but <laughs> we will fight for your right and we respect you. And wow. that was rare. That's huge. And, and those friends obviously are the good friendships that yeah, I have Yeah, I didn't have today. one of those. That and we have brave conversations about the disagreements and about what happened and yeah. about them coming to light with all the information that I'm showing, but it's very rare. Yeah, I didn't have that. You need that. a lot of courage. Yeah, that was that. one of the things I found astonishing in the company. Because I was, we would have these, you know, we were all working at home. And so we would have these virtual town hall meetings that the whole company attended. And in the chat would just be this string of insults. I mean, the whole format for the town hall was the CEO would just stand up and talk mm -hmm. and take questions. Mm -hmm. And there, all the, there were all these questions in the chat like, why is Jen Say such a racist? <laughs> How can she be the president when she's such a racist? In America, I don't know about here, but if you take a view that is outside of the you know, left-leaning mainstream narrative, the automatic go-to is you're a racist. racist. It doesn't have to be grounded in reality because in fact, the, the, I would argue the racist thing was to close the public schools while the private schools were No, it's were just open. a label. It's just a label. But it's effective because nobody wants to be called that, and so it keeps everyone else quiet, even if they might agree. But not a single person, not of the friends that I was close to, no one said, you know what, I don't agree necessarily, or I, but, but I support your right to say it. That's so disheartening. That's really annoying. Yeah. We don't have <laughs> annoying. We don't have the label racist here. But yeah. We have other ones where I'm a conspiracy theorist and I got lunatic that. or I got conspiracy theorist alt right. That's a big popular one. Um, QAnon. Do you know what that <laughs> of course. is? I had to QAnon. look that up. I don't even yeah, think me it's too. real. I didn't know. I, what didn't, it I don't really think it's real. Um, but yeah, racist, anti-trans. Um, well, if you were in Europe, you would be called anti-Semitic. They do that in Germany, for example. They call them anti far far right, right extremist and uh, and anti-Semitic. I would even argue, people that are Jewish. So that's right, ridiculous. Well, yeah. So I come out and help those friends. I, yeah, in Europe. I was not here. The they can't do it. The left is pretty anti-Semitic in the yeah. U.S. now. So I don't know that they would think that's an insult. They, they, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of joking. Um, I was. Was I called? I, I don't know that I was called anti-Semitic. No, it's just a there, cultural no, thing between was, countries. Yeah, there was, there's some suggestion of that for me and my husband. I think people didn't know we were Jewish, but even after they find out you are Jewish, I mean, he was born and raised here. They don't care. They just keep going. Of course. That actually brings me to an interesting angle because, you know, as a marketeer and as someone who is 
actually teaching people how to build their own brands yeah I teach personal branding okay I always look with people about their brand identity yeah right? what is your identity made of and what are your values yeah and what are your characteristics and And then I go into a semi-spiritual conversation with people about their labeling, about mm. labeling in general, yeah. and how we are addicted to yeah. those labels, yeah. and how we care about what people say about us and the perception of the public yeah. of us. Because yeah. when you build a brand, what you want to influence in the end is your perception, how yeah. people perceive you, and is it in line with how you want perceived. to be perceived, yeah. right? And so I think that that war of Of hurting someone's reputation through labeling yeah. is so effective because it, really it goes down to the core of your identity and it's when people are not self-secure and yeah. don't have that center of who they are yeah and what they stand for and what they mean and what their values are you can shake that very easily I agree with you I you know and in the beginning you know in 2020 when these names were being hurled at me you It shook me mm-hmm. you know and I didn't stop because I knew my intentions but I did try to explain to people here's why I'm not a racist yes and then I realized by early 21 you you can't explain to these people because they don't want to have a conversation they're just using that to silence you and more importantly because at a certain point they realized I wasn't going to be silenced that I didn't care and To keep everybody else silent because they're watching what's happening and they don't want to be called these things yes um, and so I just stopped caring great you know That's and what happened to me. you know then I had a new phase after I left Levi's um, in the spring of 22 and the story went a little viral and I was in the press for a bit and I was embraced by the right-wing press and I, I had moments where I was like well I'm not going to talk to this person I'm not going to talk to that person and then I was just like screw it I'm gonna talk to anybody that wants to talk to me and yep. they can talk to me about things we disagree on or yep. we, but like the point is we can talk to people we disagree with there yes. is no one so outside the bounds of acceptability that I can't have a conversation and if you want to You, the left, want to dismiss me and vilify me as some alt-right lunatic because I had a conversation with Tucker Carlson, then you're the idiot. <laughs> I mean, honestly. A hundred percent. So. And those people that don't want to hear your explanations for why you are not cannot hear it because they can't they're be under the emotional yes. campaign. Yes. They're in a cult. They're in a cult. But uh, when I try to explain this to people in marketing terms, I say this is, there is a huge campaign going on yeah. that talks to the emotional level of yeah. people, of fear, and yeah, that's right. threatening, yeah. and they're impacted by it. So it doesn't matter what kind the of information or data you bring it them. It doesn't they matter. Can, they cannot, they're under, the, the it's spell. under that. No, you're they're right. That's a good spell. way to describe it. And it's the, under the spell of... Um, CNN which the audience is dwindling by the day the New York Times and you know the CDC this is the spell they're under they think they're informed yes. because they read these sources yeah I see the headlines in these places I mean the New York Times obviously CNN does well they do have headlines and I'm like I, I cannot see what I know like mm-hmm. I see the manipulation at every turn um, I laugh because they make fun of us you do your own research yes 
I do. Just I like don't when just I go to buy a new car, I do my research. Yes, I don't accept the headlines from the New York Times as fact after everything that they've done in the yes. last three years. Yes. Not just three years, 10 years, you know, 15 years, everything from the Russia hoax to, you know, it goes on and on. Um, but they think their, their image of themselves is that they are the well-informed ones because they are mindlessly accepting the talking points from the government. That's what's so crazy to me, is they, their belief about themselves is that they are the informed ones and that we're the idiots. And if we follow that thread of the media, and I take you, like, zoom you out a little bit to look at the media the space in, in the U.S. and maybe yeah. even globally, where do you see that going? Because obviously, as you said, CNN's <sighs> numbers are going down. Yeah. The mainstream media is not what it used well, to even, be. We see podcasts on the rise. Yeah, even what? Fox is now taking a, a real a hit. hit. Yeah, and okay. I, I mentioned Fox, obviously, that is the sort of largest sort of right-leaning media media source since Tucker Carlson left their numbers are I think a quarter something like that of what they were so to me it's a death knell for legacy media uh -huh. um, and I do think it's becoming you know it's it's people like you in the digital space you know in a sense it's I mean, that's where I get my news mostly, although I do still read some of the traditional sources because I want to understand what's being said to people. Me too, yeah, sure. Um, you want to understand the narrative. You, yeah, exactly. The hard part is then you really have to kind of put together for yourself Correct. so many different um, verticals to have a well-rounded view and to start to decide for yourself. It takes, like, who has time? I mean, I do it, <laughs> but it's difficult. It is. You have to curate for yourself Correct. all of these various kind of outlets and I, I just don't think that most people have the time or inclination to do it. But that's why you for example have your Substack where you write what you gather and what you curate and what, what you see and then you are of service to other people that don't do it or that I can't try. do it. I mean I'm not I mean, a journalist. I see a, a trend of decentralization in Oh in for sure in media for and, sure and then, yeah you do have to work a bit harder you but do. then you find those people that you can rely on that may have never been journalists before but yeah that they serve you because they do that work it's, which is quite difficult yeah I think that's right and there are you know well-known folks that are are doing this there are a few standouts obviously in America you have journalists like Matt Taibbi and uh, Megyn Kelly and, and you know they're doing this work and have large audiences and lar at, at, at some larger than you know Fox News shows at this point um, and I certainly seek them out as well as those that lean further right and those that lean further left because I want the kind of well-rounded view so I can decide for myself it, I, I'm not gonna say it's a fortunate or unfortunate it's the state of affairs mm -hmm. that is the state that is where media is going legacy yes. media is dying it's all but dead because they aren't trustworthy yes that's what they're I just see not well. trustworthy and then the, you had the recent you we had the recent appointment of uh, the new CEO of Twitter which comes from the legacy media I know and that, that, that's a weird kind of I thought it was a very strange well it's not a strange choice. We know why he made it. She comes from Legacy Media, which is NBC Universal, but she comes from the commercial side, you know, meaning sales, ad sales. So 
So he wants to strengthen that. He needs to get that. revenue back, right? The company is tanking. The revenues are way down. I think ad revenue was down 60% last year or something like that. He knows that he needs to bolster revenues. Fine. Mm -hmm. I get it. It's a business. Mm -hmm. At the same time, then make her head of ad sales, not the CEO. Exactly. Um, because inevitably, and I've worked with tons of people in sales, you know, both on the media side as partners, but internally at Levi's Apparel Sales, they will always try to change, adapt, mold the brand to be what the client Consumer or the customer yeah. is asking for. Yes. And so if the media partners she's working with are saying, okay, I'll come back to Twitter if you do X, Y, and Z, if you ban these people, if you you know silence these people, that's what she's going to bring back to the company, and that's what I find concerning because I think his intention around having it be the free speech platform is the right one, and I think if you build the brand as the place for up-to-date news, for truth, and open debate and dissent, that eventually you will have enough eyeballs that the advertisers have to come back. It's a longer road Correct. than this new person saying, okay, take these people off and I'll bring you advertisers back, which diminishes the platform. We'll see what happens. I Very mean, I think there's enough video of her out there to kind of know where she's going to try oh, to yeah. go with this. We, we all understand where she's coming from and where she would ideally would like to take it. And I think everyone's questioning Elon Musk for that weird choice. But we also know where it's coming from, needing the Yeah, revenue. I understand the business need. Yeah. But I am also very worried about where it's going to go, having, with the fact that we don't have many other platforms today that do promote free speech. So that's Zero. Really cons zero, yeah. I suspect the appointment won't last long. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I think he's probably just sort of difficult to get along with regardless. Like, <laughs> it doesn't look easy to get along. It doesn't look easy. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm sure there was some conversation that his vision is the vision and that she would go along. And if at any point she challenges that, we know he's quite mercurial. He's going to just say, yeah, that's my guess. But who knows? Let's see what happens. Maybe she'll go along with his vision. Wow, that would be a 180 degrees if shift, she does, I think. Yeah, if she does, which I don't really side. think she will, then she's not going to get the ad dollars to come back as quickly as he wants, so she'll be ousted for that. They will not subscribe to that company, like advertising in that company. Yeah, I, it'll be interesting. It's definitely what Elon Musk is You know doing, what, regardless, her career, she's now a CEO and she'll be a CEO wherever yeah. she get, goes next. Because yeah. you know and I know that's how it works. Of so. course, once you have a stamp, once. Her, she's a CEO, her profile has been raised. She's set no matter what. Speaking of personal branding, she did her thing even if she didn't succeed in the role. It doesn't role. matter. It doesn't matter, especially not in woke left uh, America. No, corporate she's America. kind of a famous CEO now. That's it. That's yeah, all that she matters. She will get the next one, no problem. And that's Annoying. also where, do you see yourself <laughs> like taking more positions? Me? Yeah, in, in companies. Like I totally in would, but no one will have me right now. <laughs> but would you go to a company that, you know, you don't, you don't, it's not in alignment with no. what you believe in? No. No, you won't. No. So you'll be more picky. Well, I thought Levi's was. I mean, I'd been there 23 years. I would like to go back to a full-time job 
I don't need to. I'm consulting and I'm doing fine. Um, but I would like to. I like doing that work. But I wouldn't do it anywhere where mm -hmm. it wasn't a really truly inclusive culture where it wasn't a, I, I want a company that's focused on product excellence, running a really strong, disciplined business, and yes. isn't distracted by all this other nonsense. So speaking of that other nonsense, so one of the most popular cultural phenomena of recent years is the diversity and inclusion label that we hear everywhere. So let's talk about that a little bit. Do you feel there's a real diversity and inclusion policies, or is it just whitewashing? And you know, I see in companies, so many companies, that it relates mostly to hiring women or to LGBTQ and, uh, you know, doing events that, yeah. that promote that or just showing externally that that's what we stand for. But yeah. these are the boundaries. Like, they don't yeah. go further than that. And I most think companies think don't really do. walk the talk. Like, they say diversity and inclusion. Yeah. You, well, you want to see it everywhere if they are diverse and I they think, are inclusive. Yeah, I think it's mostly woke washing. I think they they don't. Re I don't think they realize that though. I think they've woke washed themselves. So they. So again, they believe. have good intentions and they don't see their own boundaries that I they put so. there. I think so. I mean, I try to be as generous as possible, but I think so. Um, so they, de they don't see viewpoint discrimination as discrimination? No, because your view is violence and you're evil and you deserve to be. That, that's, this, that's the problem with speech is violence. It, you know, that whole view says that we can't have open debate and dissent because one side is beyond the pale. One side, they're Nazis. I mean, quite literally. So that's not a viewpoint that we should include in the conversation. I mean, it's a lie, obviously. I get it. Um, so that's the, the so strength is in the paradigm. The, the, the shift that needs to happen is in the paradigm for companies to really, truly be walking the talk and being diverse and inclusive. If they are able to shift their mind from the paradigm that says these are the boundaries and whatever is outside those boundaries you can't talk about because it's violence because it's that's a cultural shift that that's needs a to happen shift. and I I the only the only way to move that back to celebrating a culture of free speech is more free speech and so people like us have to just keep talking that's the only way I agree that is literally the only way and it's very inconvenient and uncomfortable for those of us who are willing to do it but eventually I think more I, I think more people will um, I mean most people are follow yes after all and so they will follow when yes. that view comes back in I think for companies there's a few things that are gonna happen yes one business is tough right now mm -hmm. this is really tough in out Israel of, too out of, I think okay. around the world yes. right um, they're going to have to get back to kind of no-nonsense business fundamentals. They just can't afford all this time-wasting ridiculousness. You already see in America there's a push to return to office mm -hmm. because no one's doing any work at home. They're unproductive. Um, there's layoffs that are starting with these overbuilt bureaucratic HR teams which have bloated DEI organizations. Um, and you have a backlash, consumer backlash, to campaigns that tout sort of values instead of product. We've seen it with Bud Light and with Target. Can those, you say a few words about that? Yeah. Like, those are great examples. Yeah. Um, so Bud Light, 
Do you guys have Bud Light here? No, but we know. Okay, it very it's well. a light, yeah, crappy beer. It it's a terrible beer. It's like Maccabi in Israel. It's completely undifferentiated, like yeah. bleh. <laughs> uh, but was the largest uh, share beer in the country mm-hmm. uh, by, by a lot. Um, so a few months ago, I believe it was April at this point, they did a sort of commemorative beer can with a transgender influencer. And they didn't even sell this beer. I mean, it was kind of a non-event, but it just... Pissed off the... It woke the beast, I guess. Because uh-huh. a huge segment of the American audience said, we are done. This is ridiculous. We're not buying in. Now, what they're not buying into is wokeness broadly. Um, but I think with you know, it's being billed as anti-LGBTQ and all this, it's not. They're saying, don't push politics, you know, down my throat when I'm just trying to buy a beer. All I want is to buy a beer and enjoy it with friends. This is divisive ideology. The divisiveness is around this idea that men can be women, which I don't believe is true. Mm -hmm. Um, That, you know, sex is assigned and not an observable fact, people are saying, that's a lie. I'm not going to go forward with that anymore. And everyone, so there was a boycott of Bud, essentially, Bud Light. Everyone thought it would peter out in two weeks, but we are two or three months in at this point. They've lost the number. Their sales have plummeted down 25% every week, one week after the next. And they've lost the number one share position. And they at this fired point. the VP of marketing. And they fired the VP of marketing, who a week before this campaign came out said that the consumers yeah. were disposable and fratty and hopeless and horrible. Oh my God. So that's what's happening with Bud Light, and the they target. have not recovered. It seems like they may not. They may not at all, you think? Let's see. It's a long recovery wow. at this point. I don't think it's, it's a, a trust issue. Yes. Well, at this point, they've that also reminds pissed companies both sides again. Up. The, the, the well, they also at the end of the day they also demonstrate they don't know their cu- customer, of course. and they were disrespectful to their customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and now because they discontinued the can, they fired the marketing leader. Now the left is mad, the left wing activists, and they're saying you did not support the LGBT, LGBT cause in the right way. So now they're everyone's mad. The difference is. Those left-wing activists weren't their customer anyway. So, you know, it's losing the sort of centrists and the sort of right-leaning. And then at Target, this was just on the heel. You know, June is Pride Month. I think it is here, too, from what I can see. It's Mm -hmm. different months in other parts of it. Um, And Target had done Pride merch gear for years and years, rainbow T-shirts. Everyone's fine with that. Nobody cares, right? This kind of went... Two steps further, and they had um, tuck-friendly women's bathing suits for, you know, for for transgender people who want to wear women's bathing suits, but still have are still men. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they partnered with an and for artist. for babies as well, right? I think. And all kinds of gear for babies. So that felt, I think, to a lot of people like, okay, this is. In the indoctrination, <laughs> that's the word they would use. And then they partnered with an artist on a collaboration who had furthered in his own art imagery that I would argue is very violent. Um, 
mean, kill trans, satanic, kill transphobes, pictures of guillotines with heads lying. And he says, oh, it's funny. It's not funny. That's not funny. So Target's business has also been impacted. They pulled the merch or pushed it back. Did they? Their stock has been downgraded. So these are very powerful American iconic companies who are now suffering the repercussions from just taking it all too far. Then bringing you back to what you were talking about before, you think that we're going to go back to a corporate world where businesses are focusing on business, I on think product? So. <laughs> I think so, but I think it's going to take a, a it's uh, not going to happen overnight, but I, these two examples of brands and businesses that seemed just undisputed leaders who have now suffered tremendous losses, it has to be causing American brands to kind of question, pull teams together and go, how do we kind of navigate this forward? How do we get back to the basics and get back to business? I think many people are also not aware of what ESG stands for, but when you take ESG into private companies and you kind of, that's how I see it, threaten the company in getting funding if only if they follow yeah. a certain ESG rule and their scoring is not hurt, yeah. then that also forces the company to go in a certain direction. It and does. we see some states in the US pushing back yeah. on, on that. I will say most of the employees aren't aware. They're not aware. You know, they're not aware. I was implementing that kind of. Yeah, they're not. It, the it's not like even frontline kind of leaders, this VP of Bud. It's not like she's like, oh, if I want to keep getting BlackRock's funding, I need to make. They don't know. It's yes. It yes. comes at people from up, down, and sideways. So you might have very, very, very senior leaders, maybe just the CEO and the CFO, who are aware of that. Um, and then you have activist younger employees pushing it, and then you have the leaders who are, you know, they live in blue cities and blue states, all their friends believe these things. So they're really in a bubble. Yes. And they think if I put these things out, everybody's going to like it. They don't realize that half of the country has an issue with it. And they're able in their minds, and this is what they did with me, to go, these aren't reasonable people who think these things. These are crazy people. So who cares what they think? Like, they didn't know anyone who thought what I thought about COVID policy, to bring it back to the beginning. I was this like lunatic Trumper wow. from a place they'd never been in some like podunk red state. Like, of course, we can demonize her. She's like fringe. Yes. Well, no, half the country agrees with me. Yes. Um, but those people are demonized and they're not worthy of our respect. But when it comes to businesses like Bud and Target, yes. While the senior most leaders might feel the pressure of the black rocks, at the end of the day, if the stock price plummets, <laughs> that's that's the that's like, going to change the bowl game. I think so. I yeah. mean, there's people that they disagree care about money. with me. There's even BlackRock. That's what they care about, right? Of course, they care about how the stock is performing, how the company I mean, is there, performing. Have you heard of this story? Um, there was this company called Frank. Have you heard of no. this? I think it's called Frank, and it was like this. It helped um, low-income kids applying to college get sort of public loans and okay. stuff. It was started by this young woman in her 20s. Yeah. J.P. Morgan Chase bought it. Okay. The whole thing was a fraud. Okay. Her three million people on an email list, they were all made up. Ugh. They spent 75 million or 175 million, I don't know, millions and millions. 
she defrauded them. They are now suing her. She was able to get away with it because she was saving the world and took all these kind of woke stances about helping underprivileged kids get into college. They were, they were wooed by that. They were misled, but they were wooed. Do you think they're going to do that again, not do their due diligence? They've, they're losing. They lost so much money. Yeah. At the end of the day, money is what drives these people. Yes, but at the same time, they have their avenues, such as Sun Bankman Freed with FTX, to you know move money through and make more money, and and that's also you know like a source of well, I think what's interesting funding to the Democratic Party and yes, and and no one's talking about that. And it's true. So that's I like sort of a, a think balancing he might have been balance. a whole front for it that he was sort of, of a pawn in the whole thing, of and now they're willing to sacrifice of him course. because everybody else that's got clear. theirs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll it's see. It's just balancing it to the other direction. Like, I agree with you that they do care about the performance of companies, and that's what drives them in the end of the day. But yeah. they also find their ways. Their to get the money. Yes. It's true. Well, even now, like, the leaders of these big companies, they're still going to get their bonuses. Mm -hmm. They're still going to get their money. They're going to structure their contracts in such a of way course. that they all get their money. Of course. So, I don't know, it remains to be seen. It's going to be interesting, that's for sure. And I think the more people will push back from down under, from the grassroots, well, we're going to see changes. Yeah, I mean, that's the consumers. other thing is that I don't, what, the consumers, but what I, I, I shouldn't say I don't understand. For the younger employees, I don't know why they buy it. They're the ones also being harmed, right? The, the senior leaders are raiding the coffers of the company. They're pretending they care about these sort of woke values that the younger employees do. The young employees are satisfied by that, even though it's a pose and it's a charade and they're just stealing money. Yeah, I use Nike all the time as the example here. They, throughout 2018, I think 17 to 19, and they still do it, all these Women's History Month campaigns, all this, you know, girl power stuff, at the same time, many, many lawsuits happening at the company about sexual harassment internally, about not paying pregnant athletes, about abusing young women in the running project. Yes. yes. Why don't the employees care that they actually treat female employees like shit? Yes. They're satisfied with a Women's History Month campaign. No, I'm it's with pathetic. you. It's pathetic. And I think it goes back to the education system and the indoctrination. The fact that we are brought up to be obedient and compliant yeah. and just take authority yeah. and not make a fuss about well, things. It's, and believing the ad campaign is the same as believing the headline in the New York Times. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's people have to find sovereignty and have to find independent thinking again and it that's just, very hard in the culture is. that we have created and here it in the last 20 30 it's, years it seems like n there is no amount of hypocrisy because it clashes in front of their eyes all the time and that it will wake still them does up. it's yeah correct it's very difficult it has to come from within i think eventually maybe i'm just an optimist which I, is great i think i, I think there's you know 10, 15% who are true believers who will never wake up, who will always believe in the good intentions of the government and big pharma. I think that there is 50, 60% of kind of people who are just silent right now yes. who will wake up.
I, I see that happening and speaking of the younger generation I was just doing a podcast here in Israel which is one of the most popular podcasts in Israel in Hebrew uh, that gets hundreds of thousands of views or listens every every episode and I spoke out about the whole global agenda and came in with a lot of information that people have no clue about and tried to connect the dots for them yeah. from climate agenda right. into the central bank digital currency yeah. that's coming in to carbon credits yeah. which is the cousin of social credits yeah. and and just painting the whole picture for people and I did it in a very subtle way I tried yeah. it it's hard to do yeah. it in a subtle way but but I did it and I got hundreds of messages and reviews from people after this episode that it woke them up that it helped them see it, yeah. especially young people um, that believe a little bit more in, you know, healthy life or mm. you know, healthy kind of living and and want to do good for for the environment and, and and Earth, which which is something we talked about. I kept on saying how the people who are running these agendas are they're nefarious because they take things that are truly important yes. yeah. and they piggyback on it with yeah. their vicious intentions yeah. and I showed examples for it just yeah. like the lady from I think the UN you, so, so you have to try and break it down to people yeah. in a nice way a yelling nice at them way. and telling them they're stupid exactly. is pointless no to just show them really show them how they're being manipulated yeah I think for everyone it's a different moment that kind yes. of wakes you up because uh -huh. arguably I was and late. a collection of moments sometimes. Yeah, I mean, arguably, and there's certainly a lot of people that yell at me, like, oh, you're so late to the party, you didn't notice this until COVID. Of course. Okay, fine. Yes. I welcome anyone who kind of wakes up at any point. And so for everyone, it's a different thing. You know, for some people during COVID, it was the fact that these BLM rallies were permitted to go on while, <laughs> they, were, while they were told, you know, your kid can't go to school with yeah. 14 other children. Or you have to be locked down. Or you can't home. have a wedding, or you can't visit your father in the hospital, or you can't, like, on and on. Like, that was a real moment for a yes. lot of people. Yes. Um, for other people, it was leaders not following the rules they set. For, I mean, some people always accepted it. And there, like I said, there's 10, 15%, there's still true believers that think that the lockdown saved millions of lives because the New York Times says so. Um, it's a different moment for, for everyone. For every person. But then we just have to keep counting on the fact that there is a moment for I think there for is. most people, maybe not all people. It's not all people, not but all it's people, most. But it's most people. My belief is you have 10% on either side. Yes. 10 that sort of saw it from the beginning or see it. 10 that will never see it. Yes. And then you have all these 80. people in the middle, mostly who, and some who maybe were questioning from the beginning, yes. but were too scared. Yes. Others who were like, okay, I, I trust, but yeah. you know, most people will go with the group and slowly but surely they start to come over because the group moves over here. We'll see the chasm shifting. Um, how do you see this going forward in the US in terms of economic changes, like the economic collapse that a lot of people are talking about, like the de-dollarization, uh, workforce changes we talked about, like the, the democratic versus republican country migration. There, there's a big shift happening in the U.S. now. So Yeah, there's so many things you, happening. Many, yeah. You don't have to touch on all of them, but just like the... See, I think one of the trends, you see, I'll use this just as like a microcosmic example. 
you see CEOs standing up now and saying, you need to get back to the office. Mm -hmm. Come back now. Mm -hmm. I know I told you you didn't have to. You have to. To me, that is an example of getting back to business and CEOs saying, I don't, I don't care what, like, we are not productive, we are not making money, and you are not working. Wow. So you need to come back. And it's happening across the country. Um, and the companies who came back, I've talked to a few CEOs who made the call early, like in 2021, and said, you have to come back. They tend to be outperforming the companies that didn't do that. And those CEOs will say, it was a controversial decision at the time, but I'm so glad I made it because it's given us an advantage. So I think that's an example of CEOs kind of coming to their senses and saying, we gotta just get back to the basics, get back to business. But I think there's a long road ahead. I think business is gonna be tough now for a long time. You can't, the fact is you can't shut down the world's economy and global supply chains and not think there's gonna be ripple effects. <laughs> of course. Um, and I, so, so you have all these like this confluence of circumstances, right? You have inflation, you have, I don't know if they're not willing to call it a recession, but a, it is a, a, recession. a recession. They'll call it next year a They'll recession. They'll call it, yeah, after the fact. Yeah. Um, and then you have all of this bloat in organizations and all of this lack of focus that came through woke policies, whether it's overbuilt DEI organizations or marketing campaigns that don't mm -hmm. talk about product. These are all separate things but I think they're all gonna come together to get back to sort of common sense business practices. But think I think it's gonna take a really long time. Yeah, and maybe in the meanwhile, Americans will grasp again the power of America as a world leader in business because like a lot of the power is shifting to China and, and people are starting to realize that, that they have to rebuild a lot of the power that America gave away to China or to other countries? I would think so, or they're just ceding their position as a global leader. Because otherwise I think it's going to be harsh, very harsh. Yeah, I think the problem is what makes me nervous is younger people. And their future. Well, not just their future, they seem the most eager. Younger people, to me, and this is what I saw during COVID, seem the most eager to give up their freedoms mm. and give up their free speech and all of it in exchange for safety and what they view as kindness. I don't view it as kindness, but um, they seem most eager. And the fact is, is those young people are the ones in 10 years that are gonna be running things. And they seem, it, it's almost like an old fogey attitude for Gen Xers to actually value freedom. <laughs> That's me, Gen X. So I don't know, I mean, the young people are gonna determine the path they want. Wow. They're gonna choose. That I think leads us to the beginning of the conversation of how important it is for us to continue to do what we do in order to impact the young generation and help them find their voice and their sovereignty. I think at the end of the day, truth will prevail. It will. And there's going to be independent journalists who keep pushing and fighting. Um, I mean, let's use a very narrow example. More and more is revealed every day about the lab leak theory, which was once sort of, which was always the common sense view, but was, you know, targeted as a, you know, billed as a racist conspiracy theory. Yeah. It's going to be the default truth position in about five minutes because it's just so obvious. Yes. <laughs> always what, what happened, you know, 
will there be debate about malicious intent versus accident, all of that? I'm not sure that's knowable, but it's going to be the truth any minute mm -hmm. that that's what happened is my belief, right? And it's gonna be because of independent journalists who continue to pursue the story doggedly. The truth will out in the end. And all of the young people who didn't believe it or who believed it was a racist theory will pretend, they won't pretend, they'll believe they always <laughs> supported what is now known as truth. I mean, there's other issues that are gonna be I don't want to get into you know too much about gender ideology and you know I don't know what the laws and policies are here around I think I'd probably know around a, a bit youth less in the US but very but going in the right going in the same direction as the US but right. a bit less but there's northern european countries who are already moving away from it because yes. they've already seen the truth the truth will out in the end is my view I really hope so and, and on that message, Jen, where can people follow you or read you or hear you? Where, where, what's the best way? Uh, well, I had a book that came out a couple months ago called Levi's Unbuttoned, which you can't buy here in hardback, but you can buy digital on and Amazon. audio. You can buy, we can, can you we get can. it shipped? Of course, of course. Okay. <laughs> um, and you can do digital and audio. Yes. And then Twitter is where I am most active. And then I have a Substack, Jennifer Say, on Substack. It's called Say, Say Everything, Say Everything, which yeah. is a perfect name. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Hu like huge amount of thank you. Oh, thank I'm you so, so happy much. To be this here. is a great conversation and happy to be here. I had a pleasure talking to you. Me too. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely.